Okay. <laughs> My son's sewing his new Legos to his compadres. Anyways, well, I have the privilege of bringing you the word today, of which I'm very excited. Um, you know, being part of a praying community, there's one event a year that seems to take a lot of our people away from us, and that is one thing. You know, uh, from our students to even families, they're all down there in Kansas City rocking it out for the free conference. Hey, if I wasn't pastoring a church on Sundays, if I didn't have obligations, I'd be there too. I can't blame them. So um, that's where a lot of people are. And of course, um, we have the holidays. A lot of our friends go to different parts with their families and spend the holidays with them. And so this is always a time where it's kind of small. It's kind of the few, the around, I should say. <laughs> Not around, but, you know, around. Um, and so I get to bring you the word. Let's, let's open with a word of prayer before we do. I know what you're thinking. Man, these guys always pray. You're right. We do. We do. We always pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing, right? Pray without stopping. Jesus says abide in me. You know, what, that word abide means unbroken fellowship. How do you have unbroken fellowship with Jesus? I still haven't figured it out. But I, I know this by knowing the meaning of that word that he wants my time, right? So anyways, we're going to pray because I need the Holy Spirit's help. Amen. Well, Holy Spirit, we lean into you even now and we ask that my words would be your words, God, that you would minister to the few here today. God, you would touch their hearts. Use my weakness to manifest your strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you could turn with me to Revelations. Don't get scared. Revelations. Have you ever noticed that, you know, if you're turning on the internet and watching, you know, some pastors uh, speak, you know, or maybe you're, I think, I think other than one thing in IHOP, Revelations is, is usually a state away. They, people, it's like the plague. It's like, don't touch that. But we're going to go into Revelations 3, and don't worry, it's not going to be Mike Bickle Revelation. It's going to be Daryl Temple Revelation. Uh, I just use it because it's, uh, it's going to really strengthen and give some context to what I'm going to be speaking to you about today. Uh, the New Year's right around the corner, isn't it, folks? Yeah, it's right around the corner. A couple days it will be here. And uh, I don't know if you do this, but I always seem to, at the beginning of every year, make a New Year's resolution. And usually my New Year's resolution has to do with my weight. Hallelujah, please, please. If don't, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for me, I seem to every year visit the issue of my weight. I don't know what you're thinking. I know what you're really thinking. Man, you're not that heavy. You know, you're not that big, right? Right? Yeah, Matthew. That's why you're trying to always get me to go to the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, every year I, I try to make a new commitment to sign up and say, Father, I want to I eat a little healthier. I want to eat a little less. And yes, sometimes, Matthew, I even sometimes, sometimes, very brief, want to go to the gym. Come on, come on. I know, I know we've all been there. I'm going to go to the gym this year. You know, Matthew has been so persistent. Uh, that's Matthew over there, the good-looking man right there. He's been so persistent in asking me to go to the gym with him, and I've rejected him sorely. I'm like, no, man, I don't, that's not for me, dude. Get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, uh, but he has been persistently trying to invite me to go to lift some weights, maybe run on the treadmill, probably run on the treadmill, right? Because, yeah, right, because there ain't very much lifting going on with these arms, you know what I'm saying? So, and I've totally rejected him. You know, I don't know 
if it's, it's, it's the start of a new year or because uh, we're right around the corner. That's, uh, but he asked me, because he came over to my house. Uh, he didn't go home this year. He uh, had to stay here for whatever reasons. And we invited him to our house, him and Gideon. Uh, uh, and, and he asked me this time, man, Daryl, you think this Saturday you want to go to the gym? And I don't know. It's just like something came on me, and I was like, I think so. But I threw that card in. I threw that card in. I said, I gotta check with my wife. Let me, let me, let me get back. But, but, but before I just flat out rejected poor old Matthew. He's kind of been like Elisha was to Elijah. You know, Elijah, bad pastoral example Elijah was for Elisha, right? Elisha's here. He's like, man, I, I'm gonna, I, I want your mantle. Uh, teach me, uh, teach me the way, you know, teach me the force and whatever. And, and Elijah's just all the while, just, yeah, okay, kid, kind of just rejecting him, honestly, if you look at the story. And I have done that to Matt. Matt, I apologize. But maybe, maybe just the start of this year, I might join you one time. One time, as far as I know, at the gym. But I got to check with my wife. Isn't that the way? When we're, we're so, like, we're so afraid of commitment, you know? And I just, that's a pure example of my fear of commitment. I said yes, Matthew, but I threw the wife card. I got to check our schedule. Anyways, that will say a lot. Now, I'm sure that not all resolutions or as easy, or as obvious as eating habits. I don't know, for me throughout the years, I've also had some more personal things, of which when I come to the new year, I'm always like, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to struggle with this. You know, they're not just, I mean, I, I laugh and joke about my weight because, you know, not all of us can be the rock star body of Will. You know, he can eat what I, I eat with this guy a lot because we're recording together and we just do life together. And this guy can eat like a tank. And I'm just wondering, I'm like, bro, where are you putting it all? You know, we, we are having the same thing, dude. Why is your gut not big? But it, I don't know what it is, but he just has the rock star physique and he gets away with it. I don't. But, but back to my point, a lot of our resolutions or maybe some of our commitments that we want to make as of the new year are a bit more personal, aren't they? If, you know, maybe it's just me, but I can remember uh, throughout my history um, just being faced, at, and it usually happened about the end of the year, because I, 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 I really try as an individual to say, God, uh, where am I reflecting the image of Christ, and where am I missing it? You know, and I, I, I tend to, to. I should do that all the time, but I tend to really start to evaluate myself come the end of December. And for me, a lot of those resolutions or a lot of things that I've seen in valuing, uh, looking at myself in the mirror, if you would, uh, I've, I've, I've said, God, I want to do things different. I want to I have uh, and come out of some struggles in life. And, and some of those can be very personal, like when it comes down to our attitudes, you know, when it comes down to our over-emotionalism. Anybody have that problem where you just, you, you cried a broken nail? I mean, you know, your son's just not gotten much sleep, and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to kill him, but that's against the word. I can't do that. Jesus, you wouldn't like that. But you know what I'm saying? So we overreact, right? So maybe there's uh, uh, some places within us where we want to get more emotionally stable. Who Listen, I, I've been pastoring now, uh, well, for, man, a host of years. But, and I know, given my age, you may find that hard to believe. But I have found through pastoring that people are extremely emotional people. We are wrecks. I don't just know that from myself and my own emotional unstableness. But I see that in people that I pastor. I'm like, wow, you're a wreck. You just, 
you, you're a wreck, man. And, and, you know, luckily the Bible says that all things are common among the brethren. So that means your struggle is probably my struggle. We're not alone in this. We're together. But some of our resolutions are a bit more personal. Maybe they're the way that we spend our money. I know for me, young man growing up, I had a, and this isn't a message on tithing. Please, please. We haven't even taken the offering yet. We spend so little time focusing on finances. I really think that we do as a church. So this is not about that. But, you know, when you get those, have you ever gotten those, uh, those things from your church? It's like the record of what you've given throughout the year. And you're just like, oh, my God, is that all I did? And you're just like, man, that is, that is pitiful. But, but you have this sense of wanting to, to catch up and to regain some ground before the end of the year. For, case, for example, we had a couple of speakers throughout uh, this year, and we had not yet paid them to come and speak. We, we, we try to take care of those who we ask to come. We don't want them just to come and not get blessed or not get taken care of. And of course, if we took an offering for them, we should give them what was taken, right? Uh, but, you know, we kind of were laxed, and it kind of left our brain. And Bethany was like, we, it's getting close to the end of the year. We cannot leave things open. So we just started writing checks to everybody. That, there was only two of them. But still, there's a principle of, like, just honoring God better with our finances, right? I mean, we squander our finances on foolish things. And I don't know if you're anything like me. Sometimes I've got my records. Not recently, because now I have my beautiful wife, uh, and she is generous. There was times she, I was full-time in work, making good money. Bethany was a young missionary making little money. And her statement, not that we compared, but I kind of just peeked over and looked at it, her record of giving was much higher than mine. I'm like, here am I. I'm making good money. Here she is. I know she's struggling, but yet her records, are, her, her generosity, her giving is far more extravagant. And, and, and maybe there's some of us here today that can relate to that. Maybe it's in our sexuality for some of us young people. I don't know about you. Hey, listen, everything is common among the brethren. And if there's one thing that I struggle with and went through as a young person, uh, was defeat in my sexuality. I wasn't going running around and sleeping with people, but I had a, a snare, a, a, a vice that sought to trip me up almost all the time. In many years, I knew I found myself, Lord, I want to give this to you. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I, I want to be able to die to my flesh and live to the Spirit. You know what I'm saying, right? Listen, resolutions don't work. They're a great idea. They're a great starting point. But they only last four days to a week. January 1st, I'm binging. Why? Because it's, the, it's almost, it's the new year. I'm like, hallelujah, let's eat. I need an excuse to eat. <laughs> let's go. And January 2nd, I'm like, okay, I feel so ashamed. And I, I, I gotta, well, gluttony's a sin. Let's, let's put it over. And we can laugh about that, right? Food's kind of just... It's laughable. Look at the fat guy. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But, but what I'm saying is resolutions don't seem to work. But let me tell you what does work. I want to talk today about the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance. The Bible doesn't make any mention of making resolutions, but it does urge us to examine our lives regularly, doesn't it? For example, Lamentations 340. Let us examine our ways and test them 
and let us return to the Lord. Amen. The Bible does highlight repentance all throughout the Old and New Testament. Repentance, among many other words in the church, it's, it's, it's kind of like taboo, and it's, it's almost like a word that, for, for the most part, I find in church, it's, it's, it's kind of like, ooh, don't say that. And we've been kind of talking about that. We, we touched upon uh, throughout the last four weeks, not five weeks, because really the beginning was a terrible message. But, but the last four weeks have been really good messages, and we've touched some really hard content and some really tough uh, uh, um, uh, text within the Word of God. Words that scare us. Listen, repentance is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And some of you may say, I know that. But do you really? See, repentance is to be lived out in every life of the believer. Not just a one-time thing. Not just at the end of the year. But all the way through the year, we should be making repentance. If our heart is really filled with an area that is wrong and needs to get right, and we know it, we should repent. We shouldn't sweep it under the rug. It's not that difficult, and it's a gift from God. Turn with me to Revelation 3. And we'll start in the 14th verse, and we'll go to 22. Now, I'm going to be preaching a little bit, but I'm also going to be teaching a little bit. So I get a little flaky when I have to teach, when I actually have to read something off this large computer in front of me, of which I feel totally My iPad, I didn't sync them, so I have to use this. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm not trying to be ridiculous or cool because I don't really feel cool. But anyways, I have to teach and I have to preach a little bit. And teaching with me can sometimes, well, it can get weird. But hold on to your seats and don't get scared. I have no names. I, Jacob Kim's not here. I can't call him out a lot to make you guys laugh. Christina Ho's not here, but Will is here and Matthew's here. And I think I can find some jokes that might make you laugh here. Okay, Revelations 3, 14. Let's start. Let me just find it here. Okay, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Now, we all know who uh, the writer of this letter is. It's Jesus, and he is introducing himself to the church of Laodicea, as well as other churches, right? We know that the first couple chapters of Revelation is God dealing with certain areas of certain individual church that are highly respected and influential in the in the world so 14 now 15 i know all things you do note that jesus today knows all things that you do nothing is hidden before his eyes and that should put the fear of god in us but more than that it's good for this story because jesus is going to Take those things of which he has knowledge of about the city of Laodicea and use it to bring some correction and some reproof. Okay? The beginning of 15 again. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Ouch, Laodicea. You don't want Jesus saying that about you. Woo. Let's give a little background. This is where i got to get a little bit note-taking here. So I'm going to give a little skinny on, on Laodicea. 
Laodicea was like many of the other cities addressed by Jesus. It was important and wealthy. The city's importance and wealth grew from the convergence of major trade routes, which were important for local merchants as well as regional communications. As trade grew, the city grew, right? Makes sense? There are a few important things about the city that help us understand the life of the church in Jesus' words to it. Earthquakes plagued the region where the churches Jesus addressed uh, resided. Actually, in 16, uh, 60 AD, an earthquake le- uh, nearly, or yeah, just about leveled Laodicea. And by the grace of God, without really the help of Rome, they were able to rebuild Laodicea even better than when it, when it crumbled. Important things to say, important things to note. Um, but unlike uh, the other cities, um, there was no uh, access um, by water into Laodicea. Um, and the city's transport, uh, the, tra- the city had to transport its water from hot springs from a city called uh, Denzili. I think that's the way you pronounce it. Don't hold me to it. But they had this elaborate, these elaborate aqueducts, and that was the, 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 the cause or the means of how they got their water. They didn't have any natural uh, clean water. Now, you get kind of why Jesus used these natural ter- terms for Laodicea. Let's go on. Because of the water that Danzilia, Danzilia traveled, I'm sorry, let me start over. Because the water from Danzilia traveled six miles to get to Laodicea, it arrived lukewarm. The water also contained large deposits of calcium carbonate, which induces vomit. So here you see some of the problems that Laodicea had in the area of trying to get water. And Jesus actually talks to them exactly in the manner and how they're kind of going through things naturally, transporting water from Danzilia. It's coming six miles getting lukewarm, and because of that, it, was, uh, it had a large uh, amount of calcium carbonate. I don't know what that is, but that actually induced vomiting. Jesus is smart, because this can honestly, it translates clear to the people of Laodicea. Don't you like that? You know, some of us play Jesus as like some mysterious, when he speaks to us, well, we got to find some context here. we got to we got a, it's so mysterious, what do you mean? But Jesus here to Laodicea speaks clear. Listen, you understand this because how you have to get your water. And so let me just say it like this. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And that word spit literally means to vomit. Ouch. Okay. Let's go on in our verses here. In 17, now this is what Laodicea attitude really was. And Jesus is making note of this. You say I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now the thing to note here is that Laodicea was very wealthy. Even the church was very wealthy. And by all natural earthly, worldly, cultural standards, they were fine. If you looked at the church of Laodicea, you were like, wow, they are a blessed people. They're doing good. 
But Jesus comes in and he says something different. He says, 17 again, you say I am rich. It probably was true. Laodicea was rolling high off the hog. But the Lord says, you are poor. You say you don't have need for anything. They were very self-sufficient people. And I'm sure that some of the cultural influences of Laodicea had crept like it does through history, even in churches today, even in our church, the, the cultural, worldly kind of standard and way of life had crept in the church, and Laodicea honestly began to be deceived. The church of Laodicea began to be deceived because by worldly standards, by cultural standards, they were doing fine. Now, it's interesting. Let's take a look at verse 18. This is what Jesus um, he gives Laodicea, the church of Laodicea, some advice. And this is his advice. He recommends them to do something. And this is very interesting. So listen. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Now, here, wait, Jesus, we're already rich. We're already swimming in it. We're doing pretty good. But Jesus says, no, I it would encourage you to purchase from me gold that is refined in the fire. He goes on. He's not done recommending what they should do. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. Wow. So let me just go back to what I first said. Here's Laodicea. They have everything. Actually, their attitude is we are blessed. We are rich. We are self-sufficient. We are doing good. And now Jesus says, no, you are poor, you are wretched, and you have need of some things. And let me just tell you what you have need of. Have you ever been there in your walk with Christ? I have. It's sometimes the most peculiar thing how being blessed can translate to our minds that God is okay with our lives. I know you didn't come to church to hear this today, a small group. Maybe we should just have a prayer meeting. I don't know. But, you know, Martin Smith, uh, the lead singer of Delirious, I was able to, um, a while ago, open for their band uh, and got to meet Martin, sit down with him. He pastored me for a while. But he had written this song, and I, I quote it a lot, and hopefully I don't butcher it. But he had talked... Let me just paraphrase really what he was talking. He was going through a season of being blessed financially, monetarily. He was doing good. And he wrote this song about how sometimes the things that God can give can rob our innocence. They can kind of put blinders over our eyes and and, and cause the true reality and condition of our soul to be hidden from us. I've been there tons of time, tons of time where I would perceive what God is doing in my life as him blessing me and affirming the way I'm going all within the next couple of days to say, whoa, my heart, my heart is wretched. I, I thought it was one way, God. I thought things were going good. I thought blessing, uh, uh, you know, really attributed that you're okay that you're blessing me, that you're behind me, that you're with me, all for the carpet to be pulled and to find out that it's not that case at all. Sometimes 
blessing can be or cause there to be blinders to really show the true condition of our hearts and souls. And that's exactly what was happening in Laodicea. They were saying, hey, we are good. We are fine. We are rich. We are self-sufficient. God said, no, you are poor. You are wretched. And my recommendation to you, Church of Laodicea, is that you would purchase from me gold refined in fire, garments to cover your nakedness so you won't be ashamed, and ointment to open your eyes to see your true condition. Now, what is this thing about purchasing? I, you know, I kind of got, got miffed by God saying, purchase from me. And I, I did this word study uh, on verse 18 of Revelations 3, and this is what I found. Just one simple little verse, and it's in Matthew 13. 44 and 46. Now, I, I hope to make a connection here that will help you understand what I'm talking about in regards to the recommendation that the Lord meant to us, uh, that the Lord put forth to Laodicea. Matthew 14, 44 through 46. And this is what it says The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that man. That a man discovers hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Then he goes on in 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, what is the connection between Revelations 3.18 and Matthew 14.44-46. We have this language of buying and selling and finding a rare treasure. We all know what Jesus is talking about when he says a, a, a field that is hidden, a, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, a field that is hidden of great value or a pearl. He's talking about himself, right? You've heard time and time again that Jesus is the pearl of great price. But what, what is the connection? What does it mean? And Laodicea's blessing and their fortune and their riches, their notoriety, them being esteemed and admonished by other nations, what is the connection? Honestly, what Jesus is saying, listen, you're missing it, Laodicea. Yes, again, just to reiterate, you have everything. You are blessed, yes. By earthly and worldly standards, you are doing good, Laodicea. But I want you to cash in. I want you, remember, Jesus says the kingdom of God is someone who finds something rare of great value and is not willing to just give that away, to give that to somebody else. But that person sees that rare, precious, probably expensive pearl or whatever, valuable pearl, and says, I have to sell everything for it. I have to get, I have to, i got to hide this. This is awesome. And i gotta, I got to go back, give all my possessions away to have this one thing. What is this one thing? Jesus is this one thing. Laodicea, you are missing it. You have riches. Give it all away because you don't have me. You don't have me, Laodicea. I am the pearl of great Price. 
Hopefully that's understandable. Many times throughout my life, especially in blessing, I find that it's better in these years to just give it away. To give it away. Because I am a person that is, I'm easily deceived by the blessings of God, by the things that are are good in my life. And it, again, it causes the blinders to kind of be put over my eyes and I can't see the true condition of my soul. So I've, I've kind of developed this principle in my life that I'm going to give it away. Nothing is worth um, uh, not having the one thing. Nothing is worth not having that pearl of great price. I may be set financially. I may be Everything may be well in my family. We may have influence. We may have riches and in, in, in just be feeling blessed by God. But if I, if, I, if I don't have that one thing, what is all that worth? If, that, if those things are, 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 are pulling some blinders over my eyes like they are in Laodicea, what, what value at the end of the day is it to my life if I'm missing out on what is most important, the pearl of great price, Christ? finding myself in my notes. So essentially, there's an exchange that Jesus is looking for. There's an exchange. When we compare and look at Revelations 3.8 through the lens of Matthew 14, 44 through 46, we see that there is an exchange that Jesus is looking for from the church of Laodicea. And that is to cash in. That is to give it all up. Because the true condition of their soul, they're blinded to. And what keeps them blinded is that blessing or are those riches or is that self, being self-sufficient. What am I saying? Am I telling you to cash it in all day? Uh, everything at the end of the day? No, that may be what you have to do. That's up to, that in between you and the Lord. What I am saying is, though, nothing is worth missing out on what things could be in regards to our closeness and relationship with the Lord. Nothing. No finances, no uh, marital problem, no family issue, or blessing, or whatever should keep us away from possessing and having and going after the pearl of great price. Jesus is more costly than gold, more precious than silver. And essentially, this is what he's pointing out to the church of Laodicea. And I'm using the church of Laodicea as a, 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 a kind of center point for us here today because I don't believe that these words are just for the church of Laodicea. They, they have to have some contents, content and value to us today, right? Let's go on. Verse 19. Now, we touched upon this uh, the last couple of weeks in Hebrews 12. This is what Jesus goes on to say of, after he exhorts them to uh, repent and turn and, and, and buy from him 
these different things. It's interesting the things that he he recommends them to buy, you know, uh, and, and I love that because there's no other person that can refine us as gold but Jesus. There's no other person who can put on us garments that are white, right? And there's no other person that when our eyes or when we're blinded or when we can't see can open our eyes is Christ. Come on. Okay, verse 19. I correct, here we go, some language from the last couple of Sundays. This is what he goes on to say. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Really? Yes, we know that. Paul's writing in Hebrews 12 says, listen, if you're a son, if you're a daughter of Christ, then ultimately my goal is to bring some correction, to bring some discipline into your life. And if it's not happening, you might be in danger of being an illegitimate child. Ouch. So we know and we have the confidence that by the Lord dealing with Laodicea and these issues, it's because of his great love for that church. So we can be encouraged that when the Lord comes in to discipline or reprove or correct anything in our life, it's because we are a son, we are a daughter, and he loves us. That is good news. I don't want to be left unto myself. I daily invite God to interrupt, to uh, disturb to correct, I'm saying yes and amen. Because Daryl, left unto himself, is a scary man. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. So I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. I think that's just a little weak for my taste. The NLT doesn't really do me or do it the justice that I think this verse needs, let me just find the N, the New King James. I have it in my notes here, and I'm not going to be able to find it. I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on. Oh, 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 there it is. Okay, yes. The New King James Version says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Or be zealous to repent. What, what are you saying? I actually have to have some sense of zeal in repenting. I actually have to have some vigor and some passion about pursuing repentance. I'm not talking about some morbid way of life when you're just living, you know, constantly. Oh, God, forgive me. No, no. But if you're doing something wrong, friend, you know it's wrong. Repent! Sorry, there's a weird kind of expression just came over my voice. So, be zealous to repent. It's a good thing. Repent and say it with me. Repentance is a good thing. Thank you, Will. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, and I'm sorry, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Sounds pretty good, right? What is, what is Jesus pointing at? What are we to be victorious in? Obviously, we're to be victorious in the following Scripture verses. We are to give our hearts to the Lord in repentance, not just sweep it under the rug, not just just believing that God turns his eyes, doesn't see, because he does. 
but that we're supposed to live this out. And what is the reward? That we will sit with Christ as he sits with the Father. He will invite us in as his friends, and we will share a meal. Come on. Who doesn't want to eat with Jesus? I do. Okay, obviously he's talking about the end of days. Let's turn real briefly to 2 Corinthians 7 through 8. We're going somewhere with this. I know. It gets hard sometimes following me. But 2 Corinthians, turn there with me if you will. I can just find another word. And we're going to start here in verse 7. Um, 7, sorry. Yeah, 7, we're going to start in 8. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse eight. Now, just to give some context here, this is a letter or this is a, a joy that actually filled Paul's life when Titus had come back to him uh, about some news about the church of Corinth. Paul had written a letter really of rebuke to the church of Corinth. I don't want to get into the issue or the situation, but the way that Corinth, the Corinthian church dealt with it was uh, positive. It, it bared the fruit of what Paul is going to say here in these chapters of repentance. So I want to just use this example here in verse 8. Now here he is saying, I am not sorry that I sent you that severe letter. I'm sorry. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it. Not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent. Whew. I, I don't know about you, but there's just some scriptures that just kind of hit me right between the eyes. I'm like, whew. I can, I'd start to connect things. Pain. That pain that the church of Corinthian, the church of Corinthians felt actually produced the gift or the spirit of repentance in their life. Paul is saying, this is a good thing. I'm sorry it hurts you, but ultimately I'm not. Because that hurt and that pain that you experienced actually did something good in your life. Why are we so quick to kind of just cast away pain? Why are we so quick to just call painful or hurtful situations, rather between brother or brother, sister or sister, just kind of dub, well, that's the devil. You just start playing a devil blame game. Everything's the devil. Listen, I know the devil seeks to rob, kill, and destroy. We all know that. He's, his, his, his tactics are, are not mysterious. They're evident. They're real. But it's, you know, for me, it's not always the devil. I have to actually believe that some things that can rob me the wrong way, kind of get in my craw, kind of maybe bring some pain in my heart, actually might not always be the devil. Might not always be that friend who just hates me. Oh, they just hate me. They got, a, they got something in for me. They may not. It may be the situation or the circumstance that God is using in your life to bring out pain that you might repent. It's a good thing. Nobody said it was going to be easy. We have built this doctrine of Christ that everything is Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, we will never feel pain, but everything after Christ is going to be glorious, blessed, and so on and so forth. The, the, the exact opposite is different. It's a theology. It's a doctrine of a demon. I don't know about you, but when I signed up to give my heart to Christ, things didn't go exactly good. 
Things are a little bit better now. I'm not going to lie. Listen, I'm not defeated. But I'm not dumb enough to believe that it's all just going to be, oh, Jesus. No. You're, listen, the Bible's very clear. If you're going to share in the glory of God, you're going to share in his sufferings. Now, of course, we're not going to go to the cross, right? It's been done. But some of us just might suffer at other things. And let's just face it. The way we suffer today and what we call suffering is so little in light of what Paul, Timothy, and others, Jesus, went through. But yet it's still suffering. My son don't want to obey me. I'm like, jeez, got to pick my fight. I got to pick the But not all pain, not all pain or hurt that we feel is the devil trying to snuff you out. And that's why it takes an immense amount of discernment to understand, God, is this you or is this the enemy? And he'll be faithful to tell you. Every time that I've been able to open my heart like that and not just be ready to just, oh, I'm going to put on the armor of God. Boom. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Boom. It's not so true. Well, it is true, but you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes those weapons feel like they prosper. They feel like they win. But I found that sometimes those things that seek to kind of beat me up or hurt me or cause pain in my life are actually inroads that the Holy Spirit is trying to do something in my heart. And we need that same discernment. We don't need to be a people that just kind of try to sweep our pain under the rug. There's something that God wants to do. Why? Because repentance brings about a change. Probably the change that you need, you want, and you desire. Resolutions don't. Great starting point. Repentance works. It works. It's a good thing. Let's go on. I'm going to just reread verse 9. Now I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurts you. He's talking about the letter, but because the pain caused you to repent and you changed your ways. Now he goes on here in the second half of 9. It was the kind of sorrow. Now he changes the word from pain to sorrow. And not just sorrow, but what? The sorrow that God wants. Godly sorrow. See the twist on words? He's, at first it's pain. It's like, oh yeah, it was kind of hard. This letter was kind of maybe painful. And I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry that, it, well, he's not really apologizing. But really he's teaching them a lesson. Remember Hebrews. Remember what, what Paul had said about uh, in chapter 12. We just talked about it a couple minutes ago. And we've talked about it the last couple of Sundays. About the Lord's discipline in our lives. And how he disciplines and, and kind of shares and shows his love to his children by his discipline. Paul is giving, he's actually living it out. He's a spiritual father to the church of Corinth, and he's having to deal with his children. That's what he's doing. I know, maybe deal is too harsh of a word. But he's having to, he's having to bring some correction. Hopefully not with a strong arm, but the desire that they would repent and do exactly what Titus brought news back to them that they did. They repented. It was good, and Paul was rejoicing. But he's living it out. He's actually this dad trying to say, listen, what you did 
there, what was said there. I actually think there was sexual perversion, uh, and it was kind of being swept under the rug where a, I believe this is the story, don't hold me to it, um, uh, but I didn't study it, but I'm making the connection, that in the church of Corinth there was an issue where a young man was sleeping and fornicating with his stepmom. In church, the church in Corinth was, was pretty influential. It's, it's not like if something happened at Hilltop, I, you know, we're, we're still in the throes of it, but, but it was a very influential church, and a lot of people's eyes were on it. And instead of dealing with this sin, they were just like, okay, let's, I don't, let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's move on. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. That's, you can't do that. So he's bringing some correction. And this letter was painful and hurtful to them, but it did something great. It caused them to repent. Let's go to verse, I believe, 10, and we're almost finished. And I know you're saying amen. For the kind of sorrow God wants to experience, I'm sorry, God wants us, sorry, to experience, leads us away from sin. How many here today, under the sound of my voice, just get rid of how spiritual you think you are, and just look at your life, and just kind of broken, beat down old me. How many of us would honestly say, I want to be led away from sin? I'll raise my hand to that, Jesus. Where was I? Okay, yes. Um, let me just start again here. God wants us to experience the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience that leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Now he goes on, he says, listen, church, there is no regret in this kind of sorrow. Don't regret this kind of sorrow, church. Don't, listen, church of Corinth, don't, don't, don't try to, Get rid of this. Don't try to feel bad about this. Just absorb it like a sponge absorbs water. A dry sponge absorbs water. Take it in. Don't regret it. Why? Because it's beautiful. Let's go here. There's no regret for this kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks what? Lacks repentance results in spiritual death. So godly sorrow results in what? It results in, leads us away from sin and brings us into salvation. Worldly sorrow does what? Brings about death. 11, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, such a readiness to punish wrong. Whoa, Paul, easy. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote, I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see yourselves and how loyal you are to me. So the letter produces something within the church of Corinth that is needed. It produces repentance. Somebody say, repentance is a good thing. Thank you, Will. Okay. Let's... Uh, 
turn to one more verse, if you would. Let's turn to Job 5, 17 through 18. God has a purpose. And his purpose is to bring about good things. Although, there's a great verse, I believe it's in Psalms, where Jesus, or where the psalmist talks about falling on the rock and being broken. And of course, the rock is Christ. And then it goes on, the second part of the verse says, unless the rock falls on you and grinds you to powder. There's a huge difference of being in the place of falling on the rock and being broken rather than waiting till the rock comes and grinds us to powder. Have you ever been there in your walk with the Lord where there is this place where you feel like, man, I am, something is wrong. I, I feel like dust. There's, everything seems to be kind of, Ruined and broken. There is something about being preventative in this area. And what is that to be preventative? It's to fall on the rock and to be broken, right? It's a good thing to be broken. It's a good thing to be repentive. And to live a life of repentance. I'm just going to scurry through here. Job, I know you guys all have your your, uh, iPods and iPads, but... I just have the old flip, flip page here. And we're going to close with this. 5, 17, 18. I found this in studying this message. And I thought how beautiful, especially knowing what Job had went through. And here's a man who's lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his friends, you know, lost his hair. <laughs> and at the end of Job's experience, he says this in verse 17. But consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. For though he wounds, he bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. Isn't that beautiful? It shows this contrast of yet the Lord breaking us, but yet mending us. You know, we kind of get so caught up in just the breaking, don't we, sometimes? We kind of get caught up when, when there seems to be nothing left, and that's all we can see. But what we don't know is that most likely, most indefinitely, behind the scenes, the Lord is already working and mending and putting you back together. See, I found that the Lord's discipline has done beautiful things in my life. And it's when my eyes are closed and when I'm stubborn that ultimately the Lord doesn't do anything. What did, I, I've referenced this at least the last four times in my sermon that Bob Sorge, uh, Sorge, whatever uh, video that we've been watching and the one statement that he makes is, you do not want to be left alone by God. I'm thinking to myself, my Lord, that should be our one concern. And here's a man who 
at the height probably of his ministry of preaching and leading worship, had lost his voice. I mean, how do you put that into context? How do you, how do you get a, theology, a, a theological understanding of that? Here you are trying to minister to God's people, and the one thing that you need to minister to his people, God seems to take away. And you can't take that away from Bob because that's what he contributes it to. He doesn't just say, well, the enemy tried to come up against me like a flood, and, and I lost the war. No, he says, this is God's work in my heart. And in, in, in he references Job in that video. And the one thing he says is like, you do not want to be left alone by God. Listen, friends, our one concern should be this, that God would never leave us alone. That he would have direct access into the hearts and lives of his children and be able to bring correction, discipline, so that we might repent, be healed, Though he wrecks us, though he slays us, though he breaks us up, though he grinds us to powder, he doesn't do it unto no purpose. All the while, he puts that thing back together. That's a testimony of my life. Years have I struggled at trying to see God as a loving father, but yet one who wants to discipline and, and bring correction into my life. And I've struggled. How could you be this if you're that? How, you know, we so view God through our earthly fathers, don't we? We so try to be like, well, this is the way my father was. He was abusive. He was, he was uh, mean. He was an alcoholic. And, and God, you cannot be like that. Because somewhere in us we think, uh, if God is to discipline him, discipline us that he's ultimately abusive or full of hate towards his people it's totally contrary he loves us and it's by his discipline he proves that love so we don't need to be discouraged again too when we look at revelations 318 and some of his harsh words to the church in laodicea because he uses that one verse that one verse 19 says i discipline those i love Woo! Church, you just like, if you're part of the church, you're just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That should be the way it is. We should get ultimately devastated and concerned when God has left us alone. When there is no reproof. When there is no kind of, I want to get this in you, Daryl. I got, I just surrender to me. Stop fighting me. Just let me get in there. Let me do some work. And it's not pretty. It don't necessarily feel good why it's going on. But man, the fruit afterwards is awesome. That's where realness is really developed. You know, you just can, yeah, I don't even want to go there because it just would be wrong to go there. Have you ever just felt like a fake person as a Christian? Just wearing the suit? Just wearing the name tag? They will know I'm. I'm telling you, when, when God gets in your life and deals with a man and deals with a woman, and I use that, that word deal very loosely. I'm not trying to look or paint God as an abusive man. He's not. But when God does that which he wants to do in our hearts, man, there's something that becomes so real about There's something authentic about your faith. Woo! Did you get that? I don't even know how to explain it. The best example that I have is with my wife. God's always doing things in her heart. And sometimes I'm like, my God, I got to get some of that. What have you been doing? But there's after those times of those kind of uh, burning bush moments and God is 
maybe dealt with an issue in her heart. Man, she shines with a radiance, just a realness and authenticity of one whose heart has been seared, but yet near the Lord. There's something beautiful about that. That's honestly why I think the world looks at the church and says, oh, it's so fake. Because sometimes we live in such, we want to keep God in this box and just keep it all superficial. But no, God wants to say, let me out of the box. He won't be contained anyways. But he comes out of that box and says, no, I, I want to do some things in your heart. And then all of a sudden you become a real person. Your language becomes real. You get around other Christians and they're just like, whoo, what is that? There is something beautiful about correction. There's something beautiful about God's discipline. There's something beautiful when a man chooses to humble himself and repent and pray to God. You know, don't get rid of the Old Testament just because Jesus came. You know, it's not over. God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. So if my people who are are called by my name would humble themselves and repent or turn from their evil ways, I will come and what? Heal their land. And I'm finding that it's not just our, 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 you know, the land of Cambridge or the land of Boston, but it's who I am. It's the landscape of Daryl Temple. Will, can you come? Hopefully this made sense to us today. I want to just bow our heads. I want to pray for us. I'm not going to be super spiritual. There's no need. We just got to...